The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday, our show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. So welcome to our final episode of the Creator Series. For the last few weeks, we've been talking to people who've used social media tools to build community online and also to profit from it. For this last episode, we're talking about how to recognize how sometimes your side hustle becomes bigger than that. It becomes the main event. Our guest today is Joanne Lee Molinaro. She's better known to her three and a half million social media fans as the Korean vegan. Her TikTok recipes also tell her family stories, but before she became known for these, she was a trial lawyer. Now today, Michaela Greer will sit down with Joanne for a talk about why she created the Korean vegan and what it's been like to watch her efforts explode so rapidly. She'll explain why authenticity is so key to creating powerful experiences that stay with people. And she'll talk about how to know when it's time to embrace the creator life full time. Then stick around after our conversation because Michaela and I will recap some of the creator lessons we've learned over the last few weeks. But first, The Korean Vegan began as a blog in 2016. Michaela asked Joanne to think back to share why she'd started it in the first place. Here's Joanne. really inspired me to do it. I know why I started the blog, which was because I wanted to continue eating Korean food, even though I had adopted a vegan diet. And when I Googled for other blogs that provided that, there weren't any. And there weren't really any restaurants around me that I could rely upon to make Korean vegan food. So I decided to start the blog largely as a way of proving to myself that I could be vegan, but I could still eat Korean food. In terms of why I decided to document it, I really didn't think anybody would find any use from it other than myself uh, or that anybody would look at my Instagrams other than my boyfriend (laughs) and my mom. Um, But, you know, I think it was me sort of recognizing that if I didn't even have that tiny kernel of creative incentive that I would have a hard time sticking with this big change in my life. And ultimately, that proved to be true. How did you manage to grow your platform and amass so many followers so quickly? Well, I think a lot of that has to do with just going for it and kind of putting yourself out there a little bit. And it's exciting. I remember I posted like, my first chocolate cake Instagram post and I got like 165 likes. I just thought it was so crazy. And, you know, that really inspired me to put more out there. And also, like I said, I needed some sort of creative outlet because my job was so not creative. It was Mm. the exact opposite of creating beautiful photos or even recipes it was so fun for me to learn photography, learn about food styling, learn about the science of baking vegan food. And that joy sort of spilled out, I think, into my Instagram and my blog. And as a result, I made a lot of friends and my friends really wanted to see me succeed. So they helped to promote my small, tiny little account. And that's how it grew over a year. And what was the point where you looked down and you saw your followers 
What was the point where you knew that this was something big or it could be something big? I think that there are different stages of bigness, I guess, <laughs> you know? I think certainly when I surpassed the 10,000 followers mark on Instagram, mm -hmm. that was certainly a milestone for me. And it made me realize, oh, okay, there are people who actually like my recipes or my food photography. I have a community here and I have a platform, if you will. <laughs> and I think that was a little bit of a light bulb. But I don't think it was until I started my TikTok last summer that I realized that I had something far bigger than I could have ever imagined and that it was something that could ultimately be a career. And you have now, since last summer, about more than 2 million followers on TikTok. How do you keep people coming back for more on these short clips? How do you keep people engaged on TikTok? I honestly think that they come back for me as much as, or if not more than, for the food, right? Right. I think Korean food is great. A lot of people are really interested in Korean food. K-pop is having its moment right now with BTS. It's just like taking over the world and their food is with them. So I think in that way, yes, people are interested in Korean food and certainly plant-based cuisine is starting to emerge as a really big deal for a lot of different reasons and for a lot of different people. So that kind of synergy is great. But ultimately, people come back because they relate to my stories. They view me as somebody that can provide comfort to them, to prove to them that they're not alone in their grief or they're not alone in their uh, sadness or their struggles. And they feel like within the Korean vegan, they can find some measure of safety and empowerment, whether it's because of the stories I share or because I'm sometimes more overt about my advice, my advice videos uh, to my followers. And I think that's what keeps them coming back. Not only in your cookbook, but also online, you share a lot about your background and from what I understand, this started in 2017 as a response to what we sort of saw in America. Why is it so important for you to, to include this in your story? Mm. I observed that there was a fundamental misunderstanding or lack of information to many people in our country about what it was like to be me. We come from an immigrant family. We've had to deal with racism and discrimination our entire existence here in the United States. Right. And it became so clear to me that people who didn't have my experience and didn't share that maybe couldn't understand it, not because of any fault of theirs, but simply because there was just a divide. And so what I wanted to do was to create a space that shared those stories in a very non-confrontational way. I didn't want to be like, how dare you not know this story? Mm -hmm. Shame on you for not knowing. I, I didn't want any judgment. I just wanted to share these stories and show the world how beautiful, how gritty, how full of struggle, and how lovely the immigrant story is in the United States through my own family, because I felt like maybe that could be a point of healing 
for me especially, because I did feel very wounded by that, and also for other people who might be undergoing the same pain that I was, but more broadly for the nation. I I wanted something positive out there out of all this negativity. And that's, I think, largely why I continue to do this. So I'm curious to know how you separate yourself. How do you Mm. kind of balance your real raw emotion and making sure your brand stays intact? Well, Michaela, the truth is sometimes I don't balance it. Sometimes I am, what you get is like a very raw version of me particularly on certain social media platforms more than others, I I should say. And and that does help me balance it. Like I, I understand my audience to some degree on Instagram is distinct from my audience on TikTok, which is again, distinct from my audience on Twitter and even then distinct from my audience on YouTube. And I try to be mindful of that when I create content. You're not always going to see the same things on each different platform because I I know my communities there mm-hmm. and I know what boundaries there are in terms of what I can share and how to share with them in a way that will maximize my reach, um, right. not not numbers wise, but into their hearts. I want to talk a little bit about the food, of course, because that's the cookbook. And one thing that you mentioned that I, I just have to talk about is that you mentioned that spam is the one thing <laughs> that you miss. And I just, I'm so curious about that. Why is spam it for you? Of course I miss spam. I'm Korean. So, I mean, you know, spam is essentially a layover from the the U.S. and, you know, Korean relationship that occurred right during the Korean War and even prior to the Korean War during World War II. And so for Korean people in the 40s and the 50s, they viewed spam as I think many U.S. people might view filet mignon. Hmm. It was like rich people food because it was American (laughs) food. And I think that mentality is something that just has kind of embedded our cuisine. Like my brother and I would always fight for the spam. <laughs> that was like the obvious thing to do. Like, oh, yeah. no, I get that piece. You already had the last piece, you know, of spam. Because it was always like the tastiest morsel in that thing. And even if it didn't taste good, like, because sometimes it gets a little salty, like not mm-hmm. going to lie, you know, <laughs> like it was still like the thing that we fought over because for us, we knew that that was like the rich, indulgent part of anything that we ate. And so like, for me, there's a lot of history kind of wrapped up in spam broadly in terms of just Korean cuisine, but also, you know, individually and my family and and growing up with spam. And it's hard to explain that to somebody who hasn't ever eaten it in the way that we grew up eating it. And um, anyway, I was talking to somebody the other day and they said, oh yeah, there's this company in Hong Kong and they're coming up with vegan spam and they want you to try it. I'm like, sold. I am so sold. I can't wait. Bring it to my plate. (laughs) Do you feel like you have to contend with the food police, as, as you might put it, for modifying recipes? Or do you even find yourself gatekeeping traditionally Korean dishes? I do have to deal with the food police. I've dealt with some pretty pernicious food police and I'm a sensitive person. And I know that one of the things that I need to work on individually is just how defensive I can get when people troll me on the internet or post negative comments or even provide constructive feedback. I like to think I'm good at trying to improve myself, but I know that my knee-jerk reaction can sometimes be a bit much. Maybe I'm just adversarial that way. (laughs) Certainly, I think that there are people who may view me still, although I think I've done a lot of good work in this way, as, oh, you're not a real Korean. 
how can you be? You're vegan and veganism is a white diet or mm. whatever, a rich white person diet. So I certainly think there are some people who still hold that false notion. But I think that because of the storytelling component to the Korean vegan, I think a lot of people realize that no, whether you like my food or not, I'm just being me. Like this is the food I like to eat and you don't have to take it or leave it. When the shoe's on the other foot and I see somebody making Korean food, I don't care what you eat in your own home. I don't care what you make in your own home. But I think that when you start profiting off of Korean food, um, like if you, you know, post something on Instagram uh, that's, you know, paid content, you know, because it's a brand or something like that, and you call it a Korean dish when it clearly has like zero connection to Korean food, mm. then yeah, I'm going to think some kind of thing about that. I don't think that's cool. Um I certainly know that I have a responsibility when I create anything other than a dish that I got from my mom, basically. I have to do a little research. It's, it, I should look into it. I need to understand what these ingredients are, vegan or not vegan, because that's the respect that these cultures and these right. traditions deserve. What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned as a content creator? I think, number one, the biggest uh, lesson is... Um, your mental health will be affected by social mm -hmm. media. When you're in the kind of work that I do and when I'm pretty much expected to post content almost on a daily basis, your mental health will be affected by that. Just like my mental health is affected by my job as a lawyer, you know, the amount of stress and anxiety that adheres to that kind of job. It's a different kind of stress and anxiety, but I don't know that it's any less right. uh, when you're a content creator. It's compensated for by the joy and by the connection, obviously, but still, it's really, really important to stay mindful of addressing your mental health concerns, addressing breakdowns in your mental health that are caused by content creation and everything that goes along with that, and be aware of that. That was like a big lesson for me because I was not ready for it. I was just like, oh, I'm just having fun on TikTok. You know, it was like really fun. <laughs> like, why? Like, this is nothing to be stressed out about. But within eight months, I was like about to have a nervous breakdown. And I, I would say the other really big thing that I have learned from TikTok and everything else is just the power of community. I have been overwhelmed by the sheer power that resides in community when people are willing to bear themselves to allow an aggregation of their compassion to make it something that's not breakable at least not immediately breakable. What can be done when that sort of power is channeled for good is something that I have been so humbled by this past year. Joanne's platform has grown so much in the past five years. So I asked her to let us know what's next. I think I just want to really sharpen the objective of the Korean vegan. Right now, it's still loose, which is I want to change the world and make it a better place. Like that's literally the goal. I think over the next couple of years, I would like to figure out how best can I effectuate that sort of impact on this world? Is it by getting more people to eat less meat and, you know, you know, shrinking our carbon footprint? Or is it to getting more people to understand, you know, continuing to understand and talk about the immigrant story, race and other complicated social justice issues? Or is it, you know, inspiring people to 
you know, leave bad situations, toxic relationships and empower them to do the things that make them uh, change the world to make it better. I mean, these are all sort of things that I'm kind of doing right now, but not sure, you know, what it is that <laughs> I'm on this planet to really do. And I'd like to spend the next couple of years sort of discovering that. Near the end of our conversation, Joanne let me know that she's making a leap from a full-time lawyer to a full-time creator herself. This means that she's stepping back from her position as a partner at Foley and Lardner, and she wants to focus on being the Korean vegan. And so I had to know, how did she make that difficult decision? And what would she say to someone else who might be thinking about making their side hustle their career? So here's something that one of my very, very good friends said to me that really stuck in my brain and has been like, like repeating itself um, a lot. And it was probably the thing that really went like, like that for me, you know, <laughs> that is I'm flicking my finger, right? And push me over the edge. So she said to me, Joanne, I know you're probably a really good lawyer. I don't really understand what you do, but I'm sure you're great. And no offense but I'm pretty sure that Foley and Lardner can find somebody to do your job and pretty easily at that. Hmm. But there's literally nobody in the world who can do the Korean vegan. Nobody. And that really resonated with me. And he, she was like, don't you think that that means that maybe what you should be doing with your life is that thing that nobody else can do the way that you do? And so that really stuck with me. So the advice that I would give is ask yourself if what you're thinking of leaving your day job to do, is that something that somebody else could do? Or is that something that really only you can do? You are uniquely and exclusively equipped to do that because that means from an economic perspective, you control the supply, you control the market share in that. And in that way, you can also control the demand. And that's like the perfect place to be from a business perspective, from every other perspective in terms of bringing value to the consumer. So that ultimately is what drove me to make that really big step. And I think that, again, if you surround yourself with the right support and you surround yourself with all of the little levers you need to make you feel comfortable, that is the question that you need to answer. That was the Korean vegan, Joanne Lee Molinaro. We asked her what we could make sure to tell all of you about her cookbook. And she said this. The pecan pie recipe is bomb and <laughs> super easy. The super easy part is particularly appealing to me. Check it out, the Korean vegan cookbook, and let us know about that pie. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Michaela and I wrap up our creator series. So stick around. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers 
and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. Welcome back. You just heard from Joanne Lee Molinaro, and now I'm here with Michaela. Hey, Michaela. Hi, Jesse. Can you believe it's the last one? I I can't. I can't. I have to say... That episode just taught me so much. Uh, I feel like this whole month has just been a tutorial in how to be successful as a creator. And I think what got to me about that episode, Michaela, was that, you know, Joanne didn't start out as a chef, right? I mean, didn't start out with the aspirations of becoming a full-time chef. I mean, she went to law school and now here she is in her side hustle. I mean, it's been five years since she started the blog. It's been a year since her TikTok videos started to go viral Mm -hmm. and her side hustle has become her main gig. Right. I mean, that's the dream, right? That is the dream. If you're a creator, you want it to be your main gig most times. But I think we did learn a lot from Joanne about like how you build it, how you get there. So what would you say are some of the things that we might take away from that episode? I think her bit about just being authentic is so important. I think because a lot of times we get into the business to create this this thing, this product or service we can give someone else, and we can sometimes lose ourselves. We want to create this brand. I appreciated so much that she said sometimes she doesn't get it right because she has this righteous anger. Getting angry about something, getting passionate is what brings people to you because they feel like you're being genuine and they, they want the real person. They don't want this product or service. I think one thing that Joanne did so well is that she figured out both what she loved in the process, right? The cooking and the making videos, but also what her audience loved in the process. And she really responded to them, right? And so when she learned just through the response that she got on TikTok that what people really were invested in was seeing the stories, the family stories behind the recipes, then she leaned into that. And that ultimately helped her be successful, right? Yes. I was just looking at her on Instagram and she was sharing this recipe, which is great. I I do want to learn about this recipe. But she was in the process of telling this story about her father. And I stayed because of the story. I wanted to know more about her. I wanted to know more about her family and why this dish was even important to her in the first place. And so people are going to gravitate to you for that. You know, so many of the creators that we have talked to this month, or rather, Michaela, (laughs) that you have talked to this month and I have talked about with you, um, they have really taken different positions around which platforms to use. Right. From people like Amanda, whose entire business is built on Instagram, to people like Kevin Fredericks, who is very smart about diversifying his platforms. Mm -hmm. And Joanne, too, is pretty smart about diversifying her platforms. How do you think she thinks about this? If I was Joanne, I think that she 
And she even said in, in, in the interview, she said that she has had to figure out the audience on each platform. So what she can say on YouTube is different from what she can say on Twitter, is different from what she can say on Instagram, which is so important and smart when you're diversifying. I think that's one thing we didn't see when we spoke to Kevin because he reposts the same thing everywhere and everyone isn't consuming media the same way on each platform. So that's a smart thing that Joanne is doing, that if you're a creator, you might think about figuring out which audience is best for which piece of media. You know, I think if there was one big takeaway from the series, it would in part be that, that to be a successful creator, it's so important to diversify your platforms. So if one platform changes the rules, you have another place to land. And part of diversifying your platforms is not, as you say, posting the same thing everywhere, but in fact, figuring out the different voice that each platform has, right? It's going to take a lot of work. I can't imagine how Joanne is able to be a lawyer and a long distance runner and still run the Korean vegan because it is just easier to create one thing and ship it off to everywhere else. But if you really want to make an impact and grow your base, it's smart for you to figure out who's where and what they want. And of course, I think that one thing that we're learning from Joanne is that she got to a point where she didn't want or need to be a lawyer and a long distance runner and a creator (laughs) that she could choose where she wanted to put her energies. And isn't that the dream for so many creators that they have more autonomy, more access to choice, more access to pursue the things that bring passion? I was floored, I think, when she finally did answer that question of how did you make this decision? She shared what her friend's advice was. She said, you will probably do really well as a lawyer. And if you leave, they'll find someone else and you're great. But your true value is to figure out how you can be the Korean vegan because no one else can do this. And I think if you're a creator, that is great advice for you if you're still trying to figure out that side hustle. You know, you're right, Michaela. And we should say Joanne is still going to be a lawyer and she's stepping back as partner, but she'll still have her legal career to fall back on. She'll probably still practice to some degree. It's just that now she gets to make the Korean vegan the full time pursuit, which is a really wonderful thing. Now, thank you for joining us for the Creator Series. To everyone listening right now, it has been a joy and so interesting to travel through the many ways that people are building real community that matters and profiting from it, making their living off of it online. As we wrap things up, please come to Office Hours. Let's talk more about this. We meet every Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m. Eastern. We will meet this Wednesday. Bring your coffee, come to the LinkedIn news page and join us. And if you can't find us, email us at hellomonday at linkedin.com and we'll send you a link. And if you're a longtime listener, you'll notice this is an experiment with a new format for us. What do you like about it? What needs to change? Help us figure it out. Email me at hellomonday at linkedin.com. Now, if the Creator Series spoke to you, if it helped you at all, please share your favorite episode with a friend. And as always, drop us a positive note on Apple Podcasts. I know I always say this. Michaela, I always say this, don't I? Yes. (laughs) I do. But it helps us so much when you just leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or really on any platform you listen to your shows on. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn. The show was produced by Sarah Storm and Taisha Henry. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriondo is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is our technical director. Victoria Taylor and Gianna Prudente are master creators. Our music was composed just for us by the mysterious Brickmaster Cylinder. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. This special series was my brainchild, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. 
That was Michaela Greer, and I'm Jesse Hempel. We're back next Monday. Thanks for listening. Did you get any pushback from even your family in going vegan? No, uh, other than from a health perspective. They see me run marathons and they're like, you're going to break your legs if you don't eat protein. (laughs) (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.